0: Well, I want to start us this morning with a little bit of a game or an activity to take us to our core verse and see what we remember. So we're in this series um, that's called How Joyful People Flourish, and we're in Philippians, and the key kind of hinge verse is Philippians 4.8, where there's these eight whatever's that we've been invited to think upon. So we're going to see if together as a room, we can remember those eight things together. And here's how we're going to do it. So if you think you remember one of those eight whatevers, you're going to raise your hand, be brave, and I'm going to come to you, and you're going to tell me what you think. I will accept answers in the NIV or ESV, because I know there's a couple translations. Um, So you're going to share one of the whatevers, and then as you're able, you're going to come up to the stage, you're going to, you can kind of see there's um, eight little thought bubbles. You're going to find your word and hold it up, so we're going to get a visual of these eight whatevers. All right, so who thinks they have one to start us off? Who could start us off on one of these finally brothers and sisters whatever is? Okay, okay, here we come. How can Jesus um, be quite of God? He is the Christ of God, isn't he? He's the Son, one. And we're thinking about Jesus. And that is a perfect word to start us off because we want to think about Jesus, who is God's son in the Christ, who is all eight of these things, right? Friends, if this worshiper, what's your name again? Evelina. Evelina. If Evelina can start us off, friends, I think we can raise our hands, can we not? How brave, let's give her some applause. Good job, Evelina, thank you. That was amazing, okay. So now we've we've got our charges, we've got our example. Who has a whatever? Who's got one to start us? Okay, I'm coming to the back. Whatever is? True. True, you got it, come on up, follow me. And you're going to find, they are in order, so you're going to find your word on the stage. You can head up and hold it up. Who's next? Who has another whatever? There's seven more, so let's keep them moving. Perfect. I see over there, I'll come next. What's another whatever? Noble. Noble, you got it. Come on up. Noble, honorable. We talked about that last week. I'm going to go second row, and then we're going to come to the front. Give us another whatever. Whatever is right. Whatever is right. Excellent. That's what we're going to talk about today. Perfect. Pure. Whatever is pure. All right. We got four. We got four to go. Who has another one? Four more. Great. And your families, you can help each other out, share knowledge. Do we have one over here? Um, good. Good. Yes. So like admirable. Good. Excellent. Come on up. All right, so let's find the one that says admirable right here. Perfect. Three more. Oh, we are. got some hands up. I like it. Let's see if we can get these last three. Do you want me to come back to you? You got it? Okay. Yeah. Holy. That is close. Holy. Oh, you know what? Worthy. Praiseworthy. Worthy. Praise. Yeah, praiseworthy. Come on up. Praiseworthy. Good job. Find praiseworthy. Lovely, lovely, you got it, lovely. Okay, so there's one more. We've got true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, and then we've got praiseworthy. Now we're missing one. Here's praiseworthy, there we go. We're missing one, and if you want to take a step down right here, we're missing one in between admirable and praiseworthy. Anyone know over here, we think we got it, okay. See if we can finish it off? All right. Excellent. Say it again. Excellent. Excellent. You got it. Come on up. Look at this. Okay, friends. Um, hold your thought. Actually, let's go. Can you guys go up on the stage so we can all see you a little better? Let's bring our thought bubbles onto the stage. Yep. We'll just take a step up. Perfect. Hold them up above your heads like you're thinking. Ooh, look at these things. Okay. Now on the screen, We're going to see the verse, and we're all going to say these words together that we see. So when we come to the word, everybody say it together. So Preston, can I have the verse up there on the screen? Okay, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is... Whatever is... Whatever is... Whatever is... Whatever is... Whatever is... And... Think about such things. All right. You guys, amazing job. You can leave your thought bubbles and take the little um, gift card underneath it. The word is like honey on our lips. I feel like the hot summer equivalent is ice cream. So have some ice cream oh, on me. Baby. Thank you, guys. You can go back to your seats. Oh, baby. All right. <laughs> Good job. Go Good job, you guys. Amazing. Okay. So we're holding those things in our minds in these weeks. And we're practicing ways of thinking on those things to be connected to that peace and that joy of Christ. And to sow those very qualities into our life with others, right? So we say those words and we hold them in our minds and hearts And we've had such good, sticky images, I feel like, from the last couple weeks, right? You might remember Katie was on her treadmill right here a couple weeks ago, right? And so as she walked, she demonstrated through her own story how when we use this as a discipleship tool, like a frame for our thinking, it slows us down to the pace of Jesus, And we can see our reality in light of the whatever, the as much as, the incredible endless possibilities that Jesus holds in his very nature that take us and release that peace and joy of Christ. Okay, and then CJ, remember CJ talked about what's true, right? Our first quality. And C.J. reminded us about we have this limitless, transcendental, this really real reality, right? And then we also have these unique, lived, personal experiences that are true. And it's at the intersection, right, of our unique realities and lived experiences and truth, and that transcendent truth of God, that we can encounter that presence, purpose, and power, now, Brian took us to what is noble, to what is honorable. And we were challenged to consider to be humble, like Jesus, and to seek the wisdom of Christ in all circumstances that we can be steadfast and have a non reactive, non anxious presence, no matter our circumstances, like a duck. Did you guys get a cute duck sticker? I did maybe a couple. So like a duck, riding the waves of life with others, and our minds stayed on Jesus. And today we pick up, right? We've considered whatever is true, whatever is noble, and today we consider whatever is right. The ESV um, translates this, whatever is just. And in fact, the Greek word, as we've been showing you the kind of root language, is Dekaia. Dikaiya. Can you say that? Dikaiya. So that word means what is morally correct, what is just, what is righteous, impartial. And when we think justly, when we think in these ways, the hope we carry is that then as a people we can act justly. We can act in these ways. And we can be a part of the healing and the restoration work that God is doing in the world. Now, that might seem like kind of a lofty idea. Um, And I don't know about you, but for me, I need lofty ideas. Like, I need to be inspired and connected to that bigger dream, that bigger reality of what God's doing in the world. And it's one of the reasons, actually, that I, I still love being a missionary on campus and in the university world. Because that's a context where if you meet passionate young adults They're seeking and still believing that there are new things to discover in the world, right? There's a sense of, we can probably find a new solution, even to an old problem. And there's this sense of potential or possibility that we could actually make an impact on the world. And I love that about the university context. Of course, it has its challenges and its flaws, but this is something that continues to inspire me. And it was actually in my own university days that I first had a powerful encounter with this Philippians text. So, at my alma mater, um, there was actually some controversy over this text um, because we learned that this text was on our university seal at Northwestern. So, about my third or fourth year, there was all this hubbub on campus about um, how the seal was kind of outdated and antiquated and how we needed to see something new. So, Preston, if you want to pull that slide up with the seal, you can see um, in that first set of rings is the university name, and then we have these Latin words, quakem sunt vera, whatever is true. So this is Paul's letter, this is the text we're studying. And then there's this open book, and as all the students now on campus are talking about this and wondering what this means, and that is actually um, the Greek, um, is from John chapter one, and it says the Word full of grace and truth. So by implication, we—that's a Bible. And I remember as a new Christian, going, wait a second, my like secular university has Jesus in the middle of their seal. I thought that was so amazing. And to this day, this is still the seal for Northwestern. And. Um, I just remember being so compelled by this idea of seeking truth will have encounters with the living God, Jesus, who reveals himself as truth. And fast forward to graduation, we were at this kind of reception and all of the faculty and administrators were in their full regalia, because we know how to do like pomp and circumstance real well at the college level. And, And the president had this like huge solid gold medallion Of the seal, it had to weigh like ten pounds. I felt bad for the guy, Um, but so we're like lingering at this reception, and a student comes up to him and is like, "Oh, I remember there was like some controversy over that. What does that mean again?" And the president, maybe a little flustered by you know all the hubbub of the day, just kind of in an offhanded way said, "Oh, it's something like whatever's good is true." And it was one of those moments where like you get butterflies in your stomach, and I'm like, I need to speak of Jesus but there's all these important people. So I summoned the courage, and I was like, "Uh, excuse me, you know. I was like, but actually, and I got a chance to talk about how that was Paul's letter, whatever is true, and that the open book was a Bible, and it was pointing to Jesus, and how as we seek what is true, true goodness, that we're invited to seek God in the person of Jesus, and it was an incredible moment. And I wish I could say the presidents and all of these faculty repented and fell to the ground and became Jesus followers. It didn't happen. Um, but it was a powerful moment where I realized this, this was a holy quest, right, for the truth of God. That which is honorable, that which is just. And I loved being a part of it. And if it's true at the university world in settings like this, it's certainly true in Paul's day and to the audience that he communicates with in this letter to the church at Philippi. And I want us to remember a little bit about the community getting this letter that we're studying and this text is in so that we can have his heart Behind it, right, because Paul was writing them to, to them about these everyday life challenges that were coming up, but he was also writing about these larger global and cosmic realities, eternal realities and If you remember um, about this letter in this church, first of all, remember that Paul loves these people, just has this incredible affection, and you feel it in his letter it 's so warm. And full of gratitude. And if you ever want to look more, you know, go back and read the story in Acts 16 about where this community's planted. It's powerful. You might remember Paul actually had no intention to go here. Paul had a plan to get to Asia. And he was headed that way. And in this wild story, it says the spirit stopped Paul. And then he has this vision. and in the vision, there's a man from Macedonia, which is in kind of what is Europe, toward Europe and the man pleads with Paul to come. So instead of Asia, they go to Macedonia, which is now Europe, their first foray into that part of the world. And when they get there, this is a Roman colony, Philippi, and there isn't even a synagogue to worship or preach in. So he looks for faithful Jews or God-fearers over by the river where traditionally they'd pray. And instead of a man from Macedonia, he finds this incredible group of women faithfully praying. And in particular, a woman named Lydia is named. And Lydia, something about her, she just responds with faith and belief and says, I want to follow this Jesus, and invites Paul and his community into her home, and a house church is planted. And it just keeps going, these incredible stories. Um, stories like they're imprisoned and there's this angelic outbreak but they stay so the jailer doesn't commit an honor suicide and then the jailer and his whole household become believers so all these communities popping up and he loves it he loves them and he wants to get back and encourage them but he's in prison right now And so this is the context, right? And they've sent these gifts, and he's so grateful. They sent gifts, probably material gifts and encouragement through a man named Epaphroditus, who's come to visit him in prison. And Paul is writing back and encouraging them, and he's also hearing about some problems, some things that are starting to stir up, and he wants to address them and help them. And that happens, right? Um, The kind of first haze of this beautiful community, the sheen is kind of tarnishing a little. Um, My husband is teaching a long time and is now in home reno, and he first kind of learned all that on our own house. And when we would do projects like put new drywall or concrete in, it was so frustrating for me, because it felt like the minute you got new drywall in, there would be a crack, right? And I was like, this is not how it should be. Like, we spent all this money to put new concrete down, and there's a crack, like weeks later. And he would always say, well, there's new concrete, and there's cracked concrete. He'd say, there's new drywall, and there's cracked drywall. And I was like, oh. Well, friends, there are new churches, and there are cracked churches. It doesn't take long, right, because we're human. And so Paul is writing to them in the midst of some real and practical struggles, And he wants to address those. But it's also about this bigger picture. It's a little bit life and death for them. They care because Paul is imprisoned and he's a Roman citizen like they are. So they know that what happens to Paul in this trial could likely be what would happen to them, right? So they're paying attention with this interest about what will come about. And he writes about those realities and he writes about the eternal, not just those tempora, but these eternal realities. When he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true and noble, right, pure, you think on these things. And so we are invited, as we consider that third word, dikaya, whatever is right, whatever is just, we are being invited to consider what is the just nature of God in all these circumstances, small or global. We're invited to consider what is the justice that marks God's kingdom? What is the justice, the biblical justice that we see captured in the scriptures, in his word? And I think it's, fair to say, right? It's not always simple to understand, right? It's not always something that is easy to fully grasp. And also, I'd say we don't always understand or agree on how the justice captured here should be expressed in the world around us. And certainly, we have to acknowledge that these scriptures have been used to uphold unjust practices, right? And we have to own that, and be sobered by that. But at the same time, I I really believe, and I love how Desmond Tutu famously said it when he said, there's nothing more radical, there's nothing more revolutionary, there's nothing more subversive against injustice and oppression than the Bible. If you want to keep a people subjugated, the last thing that you want to put in their hands is a Bible, Because biblical justice often upends our ideas about power and privileges and the rights, the rights we think we're entitled to. The advantages we think is perfectly sensible to hold or pursue for ourselves or our families or our communities. But when we consider the just nature of God and the biblical kingdom justice captured here, What's beautiful is we have the chance not just to begin to think more justly, but to act more justly and to be a part of the healing of the world. So I want to talk a little bit about how do we practically live some of this out. And I want to give a few examples. But um, as we've mentioned before, this, this book, um, that's How Joyful People Think by Jamie Rasmussen, captures a couple of key ways that he puts forward the scriptures um, containing insights into how we can live this out. And so um, these two things are on the screen. Preston, if we can have that slide about how practically do we live out what is right, he proposes two ways of living. First of all, we do right by doing right through righting wrongs and by making right through forgiving wrongs. So that as a people whose minds are considering the just nature of God and the justice that his kingdom is ushering in, that we can actually participate by doing right, right? By living justly in the face of injustice in everyday life and in the world around us, right? We can do right things. We can live justly. And secondly... We participate in the increase of justice in the world by being a people of radical mercy and forgiveness. That even as we are wronged or sinned against, just as we prayed in the Lord's Prayer, that as we have been forgiven, we forgive generously. And we sow justice as we forgive wrongs. So what does this look like? Uh, the author in the book uses a lot of different examples. One he uses that's kind of fun uh, on the front end of this text is about driving, right? And so he talks about how he gets cut off by a driver. And he, he's thinking about this lens, this eight-word framework, right, that's to reshape his thinking. And he's frustrated. He got cut off. That wasn't right. That wasn't fair. But he slows his thinking. And he's like, okay, what's true in this moment? He's like, what's true is... We're safe, gracious, grateful prote- for the protection. What's true is I don't know what's going on in that person's life. I don't know where they are today. I don't know what's happening. What's true is that that person is equally made in the image of God as I am. What's true is I've probably done this before. Now, what, what is honorable? Well, probably not to flip the guy off as I'm driving by at high speeds? Probably not honorable. Probably not honorable to tail him all the way to his exit just to make sure he knows I'm upset about it. Maybe it would be honorable to think about my own driving. Am I being honorable in my ways? How about what's right and just? What would feel just is if he got pulled over and someone saw it right there. But maybe I can forgive, right? Maybe I can trust that I can extend forgiveness and that's actually somehow a grace for both of us and that God will see justice done, right? You understand, so this is kind of simple but practical thing we can do in everyday life. All right, kids, let's think of a a sibling example. Um, Okay, let's imagine I have my kids, we'll say my youngest and oldest, Phoebe and Porter, and I come up, they come up on stage and I give Phoebe a cookie a delicious cookie, and I do not give Porter one. Now, what's Porter going to say? Probably, well, that's not fair, right? That's not fair. Now, what if I told you that Porter had eaten the first 11 of the dozen cookies that we had made? It's possible. Phoebe might say, well, that's not fair. right?" Now, if Porter was thinking justly, he might stop and say, Oh, I'm sorry that I didn't share. Would you like a glass of milk for that cookie? Right? And Phoebe, if she was thinking about the justice of God and thinking justly, might say, Well, I forgive you. Ooh, what if we bake more cookies and share them with everybody? Do you understand? It's simple, but it's a different way of thinking. Look at an example from Scripture. Um, you got to think about the story uh, of, like, the mass feedings, right? So think about one of those mass feeding stories where the crowd is gathered and they're hungry. There's been great teaching, but they're hungry now physically. And the disciples start to notice and go, Jesus, we better send them home on their way so they can eat. And he says, you feed them. And they're like, what? Right? Like, what, what are we supposed to... Give a whole year's wages, of our wages, to feed them? First of all, not even possible, practical. We don't even have enough. And Jesus, of course, amazingly involves them, gathers what they have, and what happens at the end of the story? Everyone is satisfied, right? That's the economy of God. That's the incredible justice of God's kingdom. And I got to think that that might have been one of the stories that a man named Norman Borlaug really was thinking about as he started his life work. And I want to talk a little bit about Norman Borlaug. How many of you know or are familiar somewhat with Norman Borlaug's story? Some of us, okay. Um, Norman Borlaug is an Iowa guy, born and raised in Iowa. And um, he grew up in the Great Depression, and so as he looked around the world growing up, he saw incredible hunger and desperation and despair, and he saw the impacts that that had on communities and even the globe. And at the same time as he looked at um, his faith and he looked at the scriptures, he saw God's economy, God's justice, a place in the scriptures that said there's enough, like he's made a good and abundant world where there can be enough. And it was in this place of tension that he began to act justly. And so Norman Borlaug used his skills and gifts as an agronomist and began to consider what if we could actually make more food in the world, right? Right? Because you can't build a peaceful world on empty stomachs and human misery," he was quoted. You see, behind the cry of, it isn't fair, it's not fair, is actually this belief about the world and God that's just not true, right? It's this belief that there's not enough. That God is not enough, he's not made enough, there's not enough in the world. And in fact, it was this kind of thinking that has driven even economic policy for centuries. Right? It was a system called mercantilism, right? And the idea was there's finite resources in the world, and so if you don't have what you want or need, the only way to get it is you go take it. And that drove a period of conquest and imperialism and colonialism. And then these new ideas began to roil up in the world that said, well, what if we could make more? Or those centuries ago, and it's still a question that we wonder and ask. But it's ultimately about the way we view God, the way we view the world. And Borlaug said, there must be a way. And so he used his gift and he's credited with inventing um, and engineering multiple varieties of new crops, like a dwarf wheat that wouldn't fall under the weight of itself in harsh weather conditions. And his, um, his patents and his learning and discoveries are credited with saving the lives of billions of people around the world in the 20th century because of the way he kept people from starvation in these inventions. Isn't that incredible? Billions of people, as he thought there must be a way that we could actually increase the yields of food in the world so that me eating doesn't mean my neighbor doesn't eat. Now, There's complex questions around that, there's ripple ripple impacts to consider, but you see that kind of thinking justly, acting justly, being part of the restoration of the world. Now, we might not be Norman Borlocks, right? That might not be the kind of mark that we leave, but I really think that when we all think justly and act justly, that we actually can make an impact. And so I want to do just a little demonstration of that. Humor me, I want you to hold two fingers up, if you're able. Two fingers. Just start clapping, them, like, putting them together like this. Two fingers. So if we're one person, we're doing our thing, we make an impact. But what if there's two of us, two fingers, what if there's two of us? Okay, we're bringing our gifts, we're thinking justly, we're acting justly, how about three? There's three people, right? We're now a small community. We're a trio. What about four? What about four, right? And you say, well now we're getting somewhere and now we're making some noise. What about five of us, right? A whole community, do you see, right? When we all begin to think justly and act justly and bring our gifts to see the kingdom justice that God embodies and is moving toward It's coming, friends. It's coming. We can see and be a part of the healing of the world. So let me give a couple action steps, and worship team, you can come on forward. So as we're using this framework, I want to consider, as we've been doing each week, keep reading this Philippians text. Remember that affection Paul has for this community. Um, Remember um, how he longs to see them sustained in everyday life and challenges, but also in these bigger questions they hold. Read that text, soak in it. Um, In the other room they've been challenging us to enter from a different building, like a door in the building. Some of us might be doing that. It's kind of just a way to shake up your routines. Think different, right? When we do different things with our bodies, like I made you stretch, you were very good sports this morning, thank you. Um, When we do different things, we sometimes learn differently. And I want you to think about one even, like, ordinary situation this week that you could apply these eight ways of thinking through. Maybe it's like getting cut off in traffic. Or maybe you have another, you know, something that just kind of sets you off and you need to slow down and think. Right? Think about applying this framework in just one ordinary event in your life this week. And then I want to challenge us each to take at least one intentional Just action as we consider whatever is just and being a part of that kingdom justice coming more fully. Okay, can we do that? Let's pray as we end this morning. Lord, the words of Micah 6 8 have been just rumbling around in my heart as we've been in this text. You've shown us what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with our God. So I bless this community, each individual this week to be a people whose minds are fixed on you, who stayed on you, Jesus. You, God, the true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy God And in particular, Lord, as we are not afraid to see what is wrong and unjust of the world, that yet our minds would go to think on what is just and your justice. And we'd be so compelled by it, Lord, that we would be a people who do act justly. And we would be a people who, by your great grace, get to participate in your healing of this world.